Jesus and oh, glory to your name oh honor to Jesus it's time
are yours. All power, all honor, all glory goes to your Son, Jesus. And we worship you, Most High God. We come together expecting, Lord, to receive understanding this morning. We come together, Lord God, to glorify Jesus. We worship you, we honor you in this house. And Lord, we prepare our hearts even now to receive the living Word of God. Active and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we give you glory. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. I want to look at verse 5, and I'll give you a little bit of background. And uh, this, this applies to so many areas in our life and, and to our finances. And in, in the weeks ahead, I'm going to be ministering, and this is part of it. But we have a young king. His name was Amaziah, and he was 25 years old. And they said basically he was a marginal king. He was a good king. He wasn't a great king. And uh, so when he we took the throne, it says in verse 5, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah, he was the king of Judah, together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above, and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. We need men that can handle the spear and shield in this hour, spiritually speaking. He also hired, this is where he made a mistake, he also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from the kingdom of Israel for 100 talents of silver. Now, that's probably a lot of money. But a man of God... Everyone say, thank God for a man of God. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle, even so God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, now listen, but what shall we do about the hundred talents? What was he concerned about? Money. Which I've given to the troops of Israel. And the man of God answered. Now listen. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Everyone say that with me. The Lord 
is able to give you much more than this. Now listen, we settle for less than God's best for our lives. We settle for less than God's best for our lives. We need to, in the days ahead, harvest church. We need to raise our sights higher. And if we raise our sights higher, we'll come up another level. But you've got to raise your sights higher. He's a big God. And we need to take God at His word. If God said it, it's so. Now, listen to this statement. I was, this week, this is, I wrote this down in my notebook. This is so good. Don't let it go over your head. Many people believe in God. But not many believe God. Now, let me say that again. Many people believe in God. Oh, I believe the Bible. But not many people believe God. In other words, not many people take God at His word. If God said it, it's so. We need to believe God, take Him at His word. If we do that, then we will receive much more than this. So, Set your sights higher, a better job, more income, better health, better marriage, grandchildren serving God. Set your sights higher. Every chair full on Sunday morning to the point they have to go over to the fellowship hall. Then that's full, then they got it where they're going to go. Set your sights higher, folks. I wasn't called to pastor mediocrity. You weren't called to just be mediocre in your fellowship with God daily. You weren't called to be lukewarm. Can I pick on you? Okay. Uh, Holly, introduce this girl. They probably go ahead and introduce her. Okay. Lindsay was here last week, and I went and I didn't recognize her, so I went to talk to her this morning before the service. Now, tell the people what happened to you. See, that's, that's what God can do. 
So set your sights higher. Years ago, revival, they'd see that the fire department was called because they saw flames of fire over a, a, a building, the church. Remember hearing that? Yeah. Why can't that happen here? Why can't the fire of God burn out all the corruption in this city? Amen. Set your hires, set your hires on fire. Set your, set your sights higher. God is able to give us much more than, than this. Amen. Let's receive our offering today. If you need an envelope for your giving, raise your hand and the ushers will wait on you. We lift you higher. We lift you higher. So let praise arise. Let it fill the sky. We lift you high. You are higher. You are higher. Praise your Let it fill the sky. We lift you high. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that it does not return void or empty, but it accomplishes that thing in our lives that we send it to do. We exalt you, Lord God. We exalt you, Jesus. We declare and decree that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, open to Judges chapter 6. We've been stuck there. While you're doing that, let me give you a couple quick announcements. This Tuesday night, there will not be Patriots United. Instead, at Black Cow Fat Pig from 5.30 to 7.30, they are doing a meet and greet for school board uh, candidates. So I encourage you, just just to, you don't have to stay a long time, but if you just come and support them, that would be great. Also, the election is so important this year. Not so many people just think about the presidential election, but our local Our state election is vital this year. It's in just over two weeks. So if you are not registered to vote, make sure you're registered to vote. If you have a question on that, you can ask. If you've moved, if you've changed locations, make sure your voter registration is up to date. And if at all possible, vote in person. It just improves election integrity. So I'd encourage you that. Then Wednesday night. We've kind of changed it around. For a long time, we prayed and prayed, but there was not, we felt like there needed to be more word going forth. So we kind of um, pulled back on the prayer a little bit, but man, the prayer is so vital. And But we hate to take so many nights out of your week. So what we're going to do is at 6.15, if you would like to come and pray, 
we will pray at 6.15, and then our regular teaching service will be at 7. So I'd encourage you to take part in that. Okay, so last week we talked about Judges chapter 6, and I'll just review that. The Midianites were oppressing Israel, and God raised up Gideon to lead the people to defeat the enemy and to destroy Israel, or not to restore Israel, not to destroy Israel. And we talked about God gave Gideon three directives, and Micah told me after Sunday he didn't get number three. So I must have not made that clear enough. So the three directives that he gave Gideon were build an altar to God, which is exactly, Scott gave me the perfect intro. Exalt God above everything else. If we don't have God in his rightful place, everything else is going to crumble. So build an altar to God, and that's the way they did it in the Old Testament. And then the next thing was tear down the altar to Baal. I looked up, it's pronounced Baal. I looked that up this week. And and basically in our lives, that's anything that would distract or deceive us. And then the number third thing was to prepare an army. And so you say, well, why are we going over and over, over and over and over this? I've just been stuck here. It's just so much what was going on in Israel at this time just seems so parallel to what's going on in the United States right now. Because people had left their first love, and they had started to worship the idol. And because of that, the enemy had come in. And the, the nation was in pretty rocky, a pretty rocky place right there. And so God heard their prayer, and he wanted to restore Israel. But there were some things they had to do. So he directed Gideon to build an altar to God, tear down the altar of the idol or idol worship and prepare the army. So, you know, really, if you want to understand how to have victory and be an overcomer in your life, this is a good three-step way. Make sure God's first place in your life. Get rid of all the idols and the distractions and then begin to prepare. And God will show you, if we go through here, God showed them how to prepare. Now let's go over to Judges chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, they started calling him that because he's the guy that tore down the altar to Baal. And all the people who were with him rose early, camped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from the Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them. I will refine them, is a better translation, for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you, and whomever I say, this one shall not go, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. And likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, 
And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300. But the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Just quickly. So the 300 bent down, pulled the water up, and lapped it out of their hands. So they could watch and be aware of what was going on. The other 9,700 just got down and buried their heads so they couldn't see anything that was going around. They just went after getting their own needs met. So, verse 7, then the Lord said to Gideon by the, or go back to 6, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now it happened the same night the Lord said to him, to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp of Purah with your servant. So remember last week we talked about the only the real difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that in the New Testament when you're born again and Mike has shared about this Wednesday night and it was excellent you are a spirit being and when you get born again God inhabits that spirit that spirit is born again and so he can speak to us from our spirit they didn't have that luxury or privilege in the Old Testament. God had to speak to them externally. So he was giving them signs and directives externally. In um, verse chapter 6, he talks about Gideon, the sign of the fleece. Now here, what, what he was doing was encouraging them, and he sent them a couple people down to the camp of Pura, which was a Midianite camp, and he listened to them, and they were talking about how Israel was too much for them, so it encouraged them. But God was encouraging them, but he had to speak from them from the outside in. So, in Judges 7, it talks about there were 22,000 people. And basically, they were self-glory seekers, and they were fearful and afraid, and they were not chosen for the task. Then 10,000 went on, and they went to the river of refinement, and 300 of them passed the test. 9,700 did not, and they were sent home. So in preparing the army, the ones chosen were the ones that, number one, they were not there to attain glory and attention for themselves. They were not fearful and afraid because they knew their God. And they were awake and alert. Because they looked to God first, they did not go after idols, and then they prepared themselves. And I believe that's where the body of Christ is right now. We've got to have God exalted. We've got to tear down the idols in our lives, and then we have to prepare for what God's, what God's doing in our midst and what he's going to do in the future. We've talked about putting and keeping God first place in our lives, spending time in prayer, in the word, in fellowship with your heavenly father. But as long as we have idols in our lives, we don't have the right perspective on our priorities. And last week I talked about there's, there's priorities that we have in life, and we need to keep them in order. We need to exalt God first. Obviously, that is the first and foremost thing. If that's out of order, everything's out of order. But there's other things in our lives. Family. 
work, church, even rest and refreshment and recreation. Those are all things in our life that are important, but they got to be in balance. They can't get out of balance, out of whack. So on a regular basis, each one of us need to do a checkup on ourselves because it never just happens overnight. It's just usually a gradual pro- progression. It happens gradually. Things in our lives get out of order without us even noticing. We all have needs and desires. Our good heavenly father wants to supply all of our needs and give us our desire, the desires of our heart. But it's our responsibility to seek God first. Do you think the people of Israel just got up one morning and said, "Eh, I don't think I'm going to serve God today. I think we'll go after Baal. It didn't happen that way. It was just a gradual progression that they got distracted and they got their eyes off God and, and they just got into a backslidden position. It was a process. It was a gradual process. And like I said, we talked about the four things in our lives. There's actually more. But work, church, even rest, recreation, every one of those things are good and important. But if they're out of order, they become idols. So last week I talked to you about when I played volleyball. And I've told this story before. If you've been here, you've heard this story, but it bears repeating because it's right in with this story. So when I was the spring of my freshman year in high school, Right in the middle and the height of the charismatic revival, I got born again. I asked Jesus into my heart. And before that, I had never been interested in church or God. My mom always went to church. My dad never went to church, and I preferred going with him. We'd fish or something. Anyway, but I got radically saved. Man, I just love Jesus. And... That was like in March. In that May, of course, the Methodists do a shuffle every three or four years and bring in the new ministers. And he brought in the only church in Monroe is Methodist, if you ever go through there. So we had always gone to that kind of by default. But that's where we went, or my mom went. And so they brought in a new pastor. And he was an older guy and his wife, and they were both, both ordained, and they were born-again, spirit-filled, wonderful people. They were a blessing to my life. He taught me to tithe. He taught me to put the word of God first. He taught me to be in church and be committed and all those things. Well, that was all good, and I was serving God. And about, you know, Monroe was never known for its athletic prowess. And a town of 350 people don't have a lot of sports opportunities. But there were two things in my life at this point I loved. One was God and one was sports. I always loved from the time I was really little. I always just, I hated school. It grew into I hated meetings because you had to sit still. And it was boring, but sports were activity all the time. And I loved it. So by the time I became a senior in high school, the end of that year, and my freshman year of college, I was beginning to get a lot of opportunities. Title IX had passed. There were more sports teams. And um, so my freshman year in college, I got to go to Platt College in Columbus, and we had a wonderful volleyball team, great volleyball team. And then I got to play on the first ever Platt College basketball team. 
women's basketball team. And I played softball was my real love. I played that all summer. I played on three different teams. I played 12, 13 games a week. My life revolved around it, and I loved it. I didn't wake up one morning and decide I'm not going to serve God. It just happened gradual, where I was so consumed by playing sports. So many, that opportunity to play at Platt College, we had a great team. I loved my teammates, and my whole life was consumed about around that. My church attendance went down. My time with God dwindled, and I was, it was just wonderful for me. But by the end of that basketball season, I had an injury. Of all my playing career, that's the only injury I ever had. And then um, that March, my buddies and I went to the state high school basketball tournament, and we were pretty out of line most of the weekend. And we came home, and my friend was driving, and we were on a gravel road, and we rolled the car. We flipped the car, and it was the grace of God we lived because we missed a culvert by about this much and landed top-down on a snowdrift. But I was injured, and so they took me. I was at the hospital in Genoa, and they thought I had some internal injuries, and they were going to run one more test and then send me to Omaha. And my wonderful pastor, who had been not very happy with me, came to see me. His regular pastoral hospital visitation. And he sat down beside me in the hospital bed and he just made a little small talk. I'll never forget. And he got up to leave. He didn't pray with me. He didn't do anything. He got up to leave and he went and stood on the end of my bed. And he says, You know, you aren't serving God anymore. You're in a backslidden condition. I would pray for you, but what good would it even do at this point? And he started to walk out the door. And I said, whoa, come back. You're right. You are exactly right. I know. I knew in my heart. And I said, please come back. Pray with me. I I repent. And he did. And I repented, and he said, before I did, he says, no, you got to be sincere. You can't just come to God because you need something right now. Are you sincere? I said, yes, I'm sincere. So he prayed with me. I repented. He prayed for me. They ran that one more test, and they could find nothing wrong with me. But I had to do some serious searching in my life, and that was at the point I decided that I was going to go to Oral Roberts University. And I wrote Oral Roberts University. I'd been accepted, but I wrote to them and asked what they had for women's sports. (laughs) And you know what? I got this reply back from them. They had gymnastics and field hockey. How weird is that? Well, so at that point, I knew if I'm going there, it's you, God. It's no longer sports because I'm not doing gymnastics, obviously. (laughs) maybe field hockey. But anyway, so I went to ORU. I I could have played another year at Platt, but I went to Oral Roberts University thinking just God is first. I'm God first. And I get there, and I'm not there hardly a day or two, and there's a big sign on the the front door of the dorm. It said, um, tryouts for women's volleyball. 
and boy, I wanted to. But you know what? I sat down and I talked it over with God first. And basically, he gave me the okay as long as I kept him first. And see, the thing is, the idol doesn't come from the things that you don't like. I never idolized going to school. I never idolized. So I was never into big social events or or whatever. But because of that one thing that I really loved. And, and so many times we think that we get off because of the problems and the trouble in our life. A lot of times it's after the victory. It was after I reached that level of success. And my, my gifts started flowing, but my priorities were wrong. So I went to ORU. God gave me the go-ahead if I would keep it right. And he blessed my socks off. I had so many opportunities away, beyond, and above anything that I could have ever imagined. And, and But you know what? I still had to come back on a regular basis and do a checkup on my life. Because back then, you didn't play just one game on Saturday. You played maybe six or seven matches on Friday night and Saturday. And then usually in Texas. And then we'd drive back and we'd get home about three or four in the morning. You know, it wasn't convenient to get up and go to church on Sunday. And it wasn't convenient because I couldn't do all the social activities. I had to study once in a while just because you had to meet regulations to play. (laughs) But you have to come back to that place. And it isn't always easy. You know, and we have so many idols in our lives. And they're good things. God blessed me with sports. And he taught me so much through that time. But, you know, we can, work can be an idol. You can get that perfect career. We had a a guy years ago, and he bragged to us about, well, I work 70, 80 hours a week. But his family suffered so bad because of it, because it was out of order. And our family, you know, family is a big thing. I've always loved my family, my extended family, my close family. But family can become an idol. A big idol anymore is is the activities that your kids are in. And I understand that because our boys played sports. And it's a balancing act. But it can't be first place. And the thing is, when you put God first, then all those other things are added. You know, and it's the same thing, you know, we just can't make idols out of our children. It's not only bad for us, but it's terrible for them because they were never created to be idols. And and so we always need to do these things. And this is what God was telling Gideon and his army. Before they could go and take the land, they had to have these things in order in their life. And I believe that's where we are in the church in America right now. We got to get these things right. And is it, am I lecturing you? Because I, no, I don't, but I, I'm not. But I think each one of us, you know, I told you I was frustrated all summer because I had to sit and look at my life and make some adjustments and make some of those changes. And they weren't big, necessary, 
necessarily things, but they were just, you have to do that. You know, it talks about one scripture about looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. But there's another scripture, I think it's in First John, about looking unto yourselves. And that's all part of it. One of the two areas where people usually miss it is they quit too soon and fall back. Or after a victory, the object of the victory can become an idol. So I always wanted to compete in athletics and at the high school level, and, and my flesh began to rule. You can get the perfect job. You can work all the time. You can get the dream house. You can be consumed by it. Your family can be. The world revolve around that. The kids control your life. It's a dangerous place to be. Rest, one of the things I've seen through the years, a lot of people, where they get off and where they miss it, is they don't take time to rest. And you would think that I would be, you got to do more, you got to do. I have seen more people because they exhaust themselves on so many things that their faith falters because they're so exhausted they can't control their emotion and their thought life. So that has to be a part of it. It all has to be balanced out. Then let's go to we'll go back to Judges chapter 7. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 8 again. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still, still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say, this one shall go, the same will go. And whomever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped... Putting their hand to their mouth was 300, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now, so they got their lives in order. They built the altar to God, they tore down the altar to the idols, and now it was time to prepare and go forward. And I believe ultimately the final 300 were chosen because they were alert not only to their own needs, but also to the responsibilities to which they were called and to those that they were serving with. I believe it was the self-centeredness that disqualified the 9,700. They put their heads down. They were only concerned about their own needs. But the 300 were looking around to the other people around them. We offer, occasionally we offer a women's self-defense class here. And you don't have to come. It's not a requirement. It's just, it's a great class. But a couple years ago I had somebody tell me, well, I don't need to take this class because I have faith. Well, whoopie doo, I'm impressed. I'm glad you have faith. But I'll be honest with you, the purpose of this class is way beyond that. What about the 10-year-old little girl that's getting abducted or abused? This class teaches you how to be aware. It teaches awareness. It teaches what are you going to do if you're, are you even aware of these circumstances going on around you? You know, or 
If you are, do you even know what to do about it? And so many times we get so glib and self-satisfied that we don't even pay attention to how we're affecting and influencing the people around us. And I think that's another place. That's part of preparing the army. We've got to get our eyes off ourself, off our own needs, us for no more, just this church. But there's a world out there. There are changes for the new time and the new season. And to adequately prepare ourselves to rise to that new level and fulfill the call of God, our lives have to go beyond. We have to be able to see those around and see the need and find out what we need to do. So when it became clear to who was willing to be refined and who would prepare themselves to move forward, then... And only then did God help them or allow them to proceed. So the 300 in verse 8, it talks about the 300 took provisions and trumpets. Before they went out, he gave them provisions and trumpets. And then he sent them out. And then in verse 16, skip over to verse 16. It says, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand and empty pitchers and torches inside the pitcher. So what they did, we'll assume they were all right-handed. He gave every one of them a torch or a light. And then they took an empty clay pot pitcher and put it over the light so that the army couldn't see them coming. And then in their right hand, he put a trumpet. And then he gave them instructions. He divided them into three. So 100 went with Gideon on this side of the camp, and another 100 went to another side of the camp, and another to the other side of the camp. And then he says in the, he says um, in verse 17, And he said to them, Gideon, Look at me and do likewise. Watch And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. So the 300 took their provisions, their trumpets, and he was sending them out. And God gave them the strategy. Take the light and the pitchers and the trumpets. And this is why it's so important to think about others and not just about themselves. Because they had to be able to follow the commands and be in order. So then we go, it goes on, verse 6, we'll go on, pick up from there, and it says in 18, when I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as he had posted the watch, and they blew their trumpets, Gideon's hundred, blew their trumpets, broke their pitchers that were in their hands, and then the... Then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their pitchers and held the torches in their hands and the trumpets in their right hands for the blowing, and they cried the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And the 300 blew their trumpets, and the Lord said, Every man's sword, the 300 of Gideon's army blew their trumpets. Don't overlook this. And the all the people of the enemy camp ran and, and, and every man's sword was against their companion. In other words, they just panicked and killed each other and ran away and the army fled. 
And then the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali and Asher and Manasseh and, and pursued the Midianites. And then Gideon sent messengers throughout the mountains and they defeated the enemy. I don't know about you, but I think if that was the army today, God's army today, the majority of the Christians would have their torch covered by their pitcher and their trumpet. And about halfway down the hill, they'd get all giddy, emotional, excited, and decided they were going to take matters into their own hands. They'd break their own pitcher and they'd blow their own horn and they'd alert the enemy that were coming and the they never would have defeated the enemy because they were all running around scatterbrained and emotional and not in order. And so that's why it's so important that we do things in order. God is a God of order, and he has a reason and a purpose for what he does. It, in verse 21, it said, every man stood in his place. They were with one sound and one voice. And we've got to get that ability. That's part of the preparation of the army. We have to be with one sound and one voice. We have to be alert to the enemy and not compromise the plan of God. Now, the thing that really defeated the enemy here was two things. Besides their obedience and the order, there were lots of light in unified sound. So when they went down, they broke the pitcher when they were at the right time in the right place, and the enemy saw all these lights all of a sudden pop up, and then they heard the sound, and it was surrounding them, and it caused fear in the enemy's camp, and that's how they defeated. It was the light and the sound that defeated the enemy. Because God could... Because they could wait on God, follow his orders, be disciplined, God could work on their behalf. The light of the word of God and the sound were what defeated the enemy. Now, when we were in Omaha at the Open the Heavens conference on Saturday afternoon, Robin Bullock talked about, and the primary thing he talked about was the sounds from heaven. And then Phil Driscoll ministered two times, and it's exactly, and to me, those were the, the whole conference was good, but those were the point of where we are now. And see, you don't, we don't understand, and last week we ran that clip about the guy and he talked about the sound. Every time there's a revival, there are sounds that come from heaven. A lot of the classic hymns came out of revivals. Out of the charismatic revival came the new songs of the, the little verse choruses and stuff. There were new sounds. And, and because those sounds, when they're from heaven, on heaven's frequency, just like when the trumpets all blew together, God was pouring some things into the earth. And we need that. We need God's on our behalf. There are going to be sounds, new sounds. I'm not a music person. <laughs> but I recognize something's happening in the, in the arena of sound right now. You can, I, I'm not a music person, but I can hear when we hit that point of anointing and it starts to come in. You can perce- Maybe it isn't hearing. It's you start to perceive it. 
On the day of Pentecost, they heard a sound like a rushing mining wind. There are new sounds, new songs, always brought forth during seasons of revival. Now, we've talked about and made fun of people that blow those shofar horns. And you know what? There is a time and a place. I've listened like to Todd White and Sean Folk, and they're doing evangelistic meetings in the hearts of New York City, and somebody blows that shofar, and people, it draws them in. But it's at the right time and the right purpose. It's not just everybody out blowing their horns just because tooting their own horns. Exactly. Now, you may not think that this message was a very good, feel-good message. But I learned early on that the coaches that were the toughest on me were the ones that cared the most. Because they wanted me to succeed. And they challenged, would challenge me to do better to do, do what I could. The ones that didn't care much were mostly concerned about their popularity, their own agendas, and they never pushed or disciplined me or the team. I care, we care, we want you to make it. We live in perilous times. Uh, we, and, and you say, well, well, so what if I get my act together? So what if I put God first? Maybe I've got, I've lived this way for 20 years and I, you know, my family, my house, my job, everything's okay. But things have changed. Right now we are in a perilous season. And if you don't have the right order in your life, it's going to be very easy to get distracted and deceived. And everybody's always looking about the, around for the signs of the times, earthquakes, volcanoes. You know, the number one sign that it talks about in Revelation is people will be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived. I want us to go forward and do what God's called us to do. You may be satisfied by being one of the 9,700 and just making it to heaven someday. We had an old friend. He didn't get saved until he was about 65 years old. He had a past. But he knew he was saved, but he always said to us, you know, when I get to the pearly gates, I think it's probably going to slap me in the, and he didn't say but, it's going to slap me in the butt as I go in. In other words, I'm barely going to make it. We can't have that mentality anymore. Don't be satisfied with just getting by. Don't be satisfied with just being mediocre in the things of God. Let's close with, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I know he made it into heaven, and I don't think the pearly gates even had to slap him in the rear, but I know he's up there going, go for it, go for it. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. That's what we've been talking about. Lay aside the idols. Lay aside the distractions. Lay aside all those things that are keeping us From God's best. And the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus first and foremost. The author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. It's not always going to be fun. 
You know, it's not always going to be easy. But we, if we look to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Kenneth Hagin always used to say, it doesn't cost to serve God, it pays. It doesn't cost to serve God, it pays. It didn't cost me to give up sports, it paid. It doesn't cost to lay down the idols. They may be nice for a season, but it always pays to serve God. First John chapter 5, verse 21, the apostle of love, the last verse is, little children, keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. In my Bible, it says, any God object or pursuit other than that directed by God's revealed will and way declared in his son is an idol. Let's stand up this morning. Pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, reveal to me if there are any idols in my life. I only will serve you in Jesus' name. Spirit of God, quicken to me, even for the remainder of this day, the adjustments, the attitudes that I need to change in order to pursue you with all my heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some churches, we'd have you, they'd have you come down and you know, you'd weep and cry and get emotional. Let the Spirit of Grace tell you the adjustments that you need to make. It's not just an emotional time. It's a time of reflection, reflecting on your life. And He'll show you. We all got areas. Amen? Amen. Is there anything else? Anyone, you need prayer for your physical body. I do not want to be insensitive to that. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer. One more prayer for Steve and our councilman here. Zach. They're going on a big elk hunting trip. <laughs> I mean, they're taking horses. and They didn't invite Rich and I. I guess they must know. We aren't going to get on a horse. But I want to pray for it. Father, I pray for these two gentlemen and all the family that goes with them. Friends, I loose ministering spirits, angels to encamp around them as they travel, that no weapon formed against them that shall prosper. Your divine favor surrounds them as with a shield. Lord, let them have a blessed, joyous time and a and successful hunt. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, everyone said, shoot an elk. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. Bring, yeah, bring, yeah, no. <laughs>